This morning we will continue our study of the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. Now as you're getting there to Romans chapter 5, we'll be looking at the second half today, I want to say in advance that this text is a great text, and it is also a hard text. Okay? If you've ever read Romans before, I imagine that this section, Romans 5, 12 to 21, probably stood out to you because of how packed it is, but also how challenging it is in certain places to follow what Paul is saying. So I want to mention two things that are encouraging okay, before we get into the text. Right? The first is that the main idea, like the big idea of this text is really clear. Okay? And it's, it's very encouraging, and it's not hard to grasp. And the second thing is that hard texts are actually good for us. Okay? Why is that? Okay, for one thing, hard text. I'm talking about texts in the Bible that make us work to grasp them. Like texts that you read that you don't grasp completely the first time you read them. Hard texts are good for us. Why? One, because they keep us humble. They remind us we don't know everything. Okay? They're also good for us because they teach us to pray. They remind us that we need the Spirit of God to open our eyes to the words of God. But what I've also found in my own experience is that there's often great reward for those who will stick with it and diligently and patiently study God's words, especially when we're in hard text that we might just be prone to just kind of skip over. When we'll stick with it, pray, diligently, patiently study God's words. I often find there's great treasure to be found on the other side of that. Uh, as John Piper said so well about studying passages like this one, he says, if, if you just rake across the surface, you'll get leaves. But if you dig, you might find diamonds. And that's what I'm hoping for today. So, so let's take a look at Romans 5. And we'll remind ourselves of where we've just been. So perhaps you remember at Romans 5, right at the very beginning, there is a big transition in the letter once you get there. Starting in chapter 5, Paul shifts his focus to the life of a person whom God says is right with God. What's the life of that kind of person like now? Like we now have certain things that we did not have before. Do you remember what some of those were? Like you could look at Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we now have peace with God, access into grace, and joy in hope of the glory of God. That's, the, that's probably the main, the main part of that last text, is that we have hope of future glory. Hope that we did not have before God said we were right with him. A hope that can sustain us in hard days of suffering and darkness. A hope that Paul says we know will not let us down in the end. And a, a hope that is grounded in, in nothing more and nothing less than the love of God in the cross of Christ. And this, this is like what's going on in that last text, and it all leads to this really encouraging conclusion. 
when you look at verse 9. And we'll just read it. So I want to say, this is right before our text. This, this encouraging, kind of uh, confident proclamation. Verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled will we be saved by his life? And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There is joy for the Christian as we wait for and think about our future hope. There's joy for the Christian even in suffering. And more than anything, there's joy for the Christian in God. In a God who sought us and bought us, who loved us before, loves us today, and will still love us tomorrow. There's joy in God all through Jesus who's brought us back to God. This is, there is good stuff there, right? And it's all really clear and easy to relate to and, and grasp, right? And then you read Romans 5, verse 12, and that first word in the ESV, and in most translations, therefore. Okay. Now, now, the question, after like such an incredibly uplifting conclusion to the last section, when you hear Paul say right after that, therefore, what would you expect him to say next? Now, whatever, whatever you might think he would say, I am pretty confident he does not say that. <laughs> okay, because look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, yet sin's not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned, from Adam to Moses, and so on and so forth. Is that what you would have said? You know, like, why does he say this? What is he even saying? And like I said earlier, this, is, this text today is a great text, but it is also a hard text. And so I want to start digging in and see, see what we find. And so what I've decided to do today to help us get our minds around a, what, I think, what I think is a, a hard text is I've tried to organize this around four simple questions okay, that I think are, are very basic questions that you might have, or we could ask about lots of texts. But I want to I just work through four questions, and I think it'll help us to get the whole text. All right, so, so the first question is just, what, what is this section of Scripture about? Like, if you, if you read it and you said, like, maybe you don't understand all the details, but, like, what's it about? The big picture. All right, what would you say? We, we read the first couple of verses, and perhaps you could already tell the direction this text is going to go. This, this whole passage is about two men. Okay? It's about two guys. Which two? This passage is about the first man, Adam. And it is about the greatest man, Jesus. Okay? That's what it's about. There is something... Paul wants us to see by looking at these two men right next to each other. In fact, Paul says there, there is a specific, special relationship between those two men. You can see that by looking at the end of verse 14. So look at the very last phrase of verse 14. Paul says that, that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. 
Paul sees there is a special relationship between these two guys, where the, where the first Adam is like a picture or a preview or a type that points us ahead to the greater man, Jesus. This whole passage is about setting Adam and Jesus side by side so we can look at them together and walk away seeing something about Jesus that we wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. All right. Now, question two. What does this text have to do with the one that came right before it? Okay, Because we all like the one right before it. And he says, therefore. This is a good question to ask of any text when you're reading it. Like, what does this one have to do with the one that came before it? And especially if it says, therefore, you would ask that question. But, but the connection between this text and the one right before it is, uh, let's just say, not as clear as you might expect. Okay, so, so what is Paul doing? Here's, here's what I would suggest. Okay, that last passage that we, we spent two weeks in it is, is about one word, mainly. It's about hope. Okay? It's about how all those who are right with God through faith in Christ, will one day share in future glory. But, but I want you to think about what we're saying when we talk like that. Okay. We, we are admitting that all of our hope for the future, all of it, is entirely bound up in what? All of our hopes are completely bound up in one man. Have you ever thought about that before? That not just your life now, but that your entire future is completely dependent on one man, Jesus Christ. See, true Christians don't uh, like diversify their portfolios. I was thinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? We're, we're like all in with Jesus and if he doesn't deliver, well, there's really no plan B. All our hopes are completely tied to him. Now, now let me ask you, is that really a good idea? To put all your eggs in one basket? To, to stake your future entirely on one man who lived a long time ago, a long ways from here? And just chasing this a bit, a bit further, have you ever thought about this? How, how can what happened to that one man all those years ago affect my destiny? Sometimes, like in the church, we just kind of like take this for granted. But, but I don't think everybody takes this for granted. And uh, certainly in Paul's day, this wouldn't have been taken for granted. You know, there's this Jewish man who lived like 10 years ago, 20 years ago over here. And, uh, you know, he was hung on a cross by the Roman authorities. And, and, and that matters to me, why? Like, this is not always just a given here, right? That people would... So, so have you ever thought about that? How can what one man did possibly have this kind of impact, not just on us, but on all people in all places throughout all time? Is it really possible that one man's work could truly change the world. I mean, has, has anything like that ever happened before? 
Like, has there, has there ever been a man who's done something so big that it has directly impacted the whole human race? You know anybody like that? The answer is, yes, this has happened one time before with one other guy, the first man, Adam. You see, what I think what Paul wants to do in this text is, is assure us that resting in the one man, Jesus, alone, is a good idea. We can be sure that what he did, what Jesus did in his life and in his death, will count for us. But how? Why? It's because Jesus is just like the one other guy who impacted everybody. Jesus is just like Adam. Only way different and far better. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, to question, question three. What does the text actually say? So I want to walk through the text. All right. So kind of set the stage maybe a little more today than normal. I want to try to walk through the text and just add comments along the way. So, so look again at Romans 5, verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now listen to this. If, if you want to be able to follow this text, you need to pay attention to that dash in the ESV right at the end of verse 12. Okay. Why, why is that dash there? It's because everyone realizes, who's translating these, this text, that Paul never finishes the comparison that he starts at the beginning of verse 12. And this is why the text is hard to follow. Okay? Did you notice it? He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, but where's the rest of the comparison? Like he says, just as, but where is like the, the so also, you know, the other half. I mean, think about it. What do you suppose Paul wanted to say in that first verse. I think I know what he wanted to say. I think he just wanted to say, very simply, he wants to say, therefore, just as sin and death came to everybody through one man, Adam, so also righteousness and life come into the world through one man, Jesus. I, I think that's what he wanted to say, but then the question is, why doesn't he just Say it. This is the reason the text is hard to follow. He starts saying it, but then he adds another thought, and then another, and then it's sort of like he gets sidetracked, and he eventually just completely breaks off the comparison and never finishes it, at least for a while. That's what it feels like. I'm not suggesting what he says next is not important. I just think there's something else going on. See, Paul wants to make a very simple comparison in this text between Adam and Jesus. Jesus is just like Adam. But what's the problem with saying that? Jesus is just like Adam. Well, the problem is there are so many ways that Adam and Jesus are different. So Paul seems to start out by going one direction, and then he decides mid-sentence. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know what this was like when he was, because he actually dictated this letter. Somebody else wrote this letter down. You can find this later in Romans. Like, it's like mid-sentence. He goes a different direction. 
And he, he seems to decide, you know what, it's better to start with how they're not like each other before I say what I want to say. Now, now go back to the text, and I, I, want, I want to try to walk through it then. So look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, and there's this dash, that's just the first part of the comparison. What's Paul saying there? He's thinking back to the same text I read in Genesis this morning. In the beginning, God created one man and one woman, Adam and Eve, and Paul highlights the man, Adam's, special role as the first man. He was the head of the entire human race. And how'd he do? Sadly, tragically, Adam failed miserably. Right? He willfully broke God's one command in the Garden of Eden. And what impact did that one act of that one man have on the human race. It changed everything. And it also changed everyone. Everyone who would come after him, everyone who would come from him. Sin came into the world through Adam. This is the reason we're all sinners today. And death came into the world through sin. This is the reason we're all born, separated from God, and this is the reason we're all going to die. So death spread to all men, because all sinned. You see, what Adam did in the garden, he did not just for himself. He did as the head of the whole human race. He was the first man. And the whole human race was bound up in him. He represented us all. Maybe like like a king might stand in the place of the whole nation. And what happens to him You know, that's what happens to the whole people. It's like Paul is saying, what Adam did, we did. What he did counted for us. He did not simply fall into sin and death himself. He plunged the whole human race into sin and death too, and nothing has ever been the same since. Now, maybe you're hearing you've not really heard much about this before. That's okay. In in Paul's day, not everyone would have had like a a grasp of this or a good handle on this this either. So, So think, wouldn't it be nice if Paul would, like, illustrate what this, like, looked like and how it, how it worked out in, in reality. You know, wouldn't it be nice if Paul could show us just how, how this happened and how devastating this was on future generations? That's what he does right after the dash. Okay, look at the text. Verse 13. He says, For, for sin indeed was in the world before the law, the law of Moses was given. But sin's not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam all the way to Moses. Even over those whose sinning wasn't like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. It's like Paul says, just, if you want to see how this played out, just, just take the rest of the first book of the Bible. Take the rest of Genesis. What happened between that day in the garden... And that day after Genesis, when God gave the law of Moses in a special way, right? Take all of those thousands of years in between there and think about what happened. From Adam all the way to Moses, everybody sinned. 
Adam's sin is the reason for that. But then Paul points out, but their sin wasn't even exactly like what Adam did. Why not? It's because Adam was given a clear, explicit command, like don't eat from that tree. And if you think about it, once God gave the law of Moses later, it was more like that again. Because God said, don't do that or that or that. But in between, people were still doing all kinds of bad stuff. And if you're not familiar with this, just like, go read the book of Genesis, and you'll find all kinds of bad stuff. The flood generation, what Cain did to his brother Abel, murdered him, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, all kinds of bad stuff happened. But Paul is saying, like, but even the stuff they were doing in, that in between wasn't exactly like what, what he did. Because he openly rebelled against God's clear command, and yet what's the point? What still happened to all the people from Adam to Moses? What happened to them all? They all died. Death reigned over them all. Even though they hadn't even sinned in the same way that he did. What's his point? Adam's act, his sin, their connection to him is the only way to explain it. What he did changed the world. And what he did impacted all people in all places at all times. There is a man who's, who's done that. He did that. But then look at the end of verse 14. Again, he says in that very last phrase, and that guy, Adam, was a type of the one who was to come. You see, Paul's starting to hint more strongly at what he actually wants to say. Like, like shh, Jesus is just like Adam. Adam. <laughs> That's what he wants to say. But he's not ready to say it yet. Why not? Because there are some big ways they're not like each other. Look at verse 15. Like what? But the free gift, which is what Jesus brings, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for, in, for, for many. So what's different between Jesus and Adam? Well, just about everything. But first, notice what they, what they brought the world is completely different. Like Adam trespasses or rebels, and he, he like sends that along with us. I'm like, thanks a lot. But Jesus brings us a free gift of right standing with God. Also, notice the different results of what they've done. Adam's one sin killed us all. Many died through the one man's trespass. But Christ causes the grace of God and the free gift of right standing with God to abound for us all. See, Jesus is just like Adam, only way different and far better. But Paul still can't say exactly what he wants to say quite yet. There's still too many differences between these two guys. So, so look at verse 16. It says, and, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, 
Jesus Christ. So what's different between Jesus and Adam? About everything. First, notice the difference in the power of what they did. See, Adam's one trespass, he, he does it one time in the garden. I'm not saying he does the same after, but this focuses on one thing. He does this one thing, and it condemns everyone. That is powerful. But think about this. How many sins have happened since then? How many times have you sinned in your life? I mean, I think we'd, we'd have to like hang our heads in shame and say, you know what? I've sinned more times than I can count. I don't even know. I don't even know how to respond to that question. <laughs> and listen, this world's been around a long time. People have been breaking God's laws for a long time. And yet, what, is, what does Jesus do? He follows all of those sins. All of them. More, more than we could ever count. And he's able to overcome them all. That's more powerful than what Adam did. Also notice the different reigns that they introduced in the text. Adam's sin leads to the reign of death. And Paul's going to talk a lot like this throughout the next chapters. Sin and death reign in this world. That's why the world's the way it is. His sin introduced the reign of death over all people. But notice, Christ's free gift of righteousness leads to what? It leads, and it's interesting, Paul doesn't even say it, it, that it just leads to life reigning. You know what he says? He says it even, even better. He says it leads to us reigning in life with Jesus in a new creation. It leads to the hope of glory. That one day, someday, we'll all share in the glory of God. That one day, we will reign in life with Jesus. All because of Jesus. You see, Jesus is just like Adam. Only way different and far better. All right, so Paul, are you like finally ready to say the one thing you really wanted to say in this text? Verse 18, he finally says it. You see? He starts over and he says the whole thing. Okay, verse 18. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. There it is. Finally, that's what he wanted to say the whole time. It's the full comparison. As one trespass led to condemnation for everybody, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for everybody. You can rest in Jesus alone, and that's a good idea to do it, because he's just like Adam, who impacted all people in all places throughout all time, but he's just way different and way better. Whereas Adam brought sin, death, and condemnation, Jesus brings righteousness, life, and justification. This is the main point, and it would seem like that's a good place to finish. But Paul has one more thing he wants to say because he's always thinking about his Jewish friends. Okay? And he knows there'll be a big objection to how he tells the story of the Bible. Because <laughs> like, Paul, you're kind of talking as if the only two people that matter, the only two things that matter are Adam and Jesus. Like, but aren't you like skipping over you know, like 
the Bible, and, and this, this like really big thing that happened, the biggest thing in Israel's history. Like, aren't you like just skipping over that when you go from Adam all the way to Jesus? Aren't you skipping over how God gave the law of Moses? And, and from a Jewish point of view, d- didn't God give the law of Moses to undo what Adam did? Like, this is how many Jews would have thought about this. Like, wasn't the solution to what Adam did the giving of the law? And Paul doesn't just say no. <laughs> Look at verse 20. He says, he says now, now the law came in to increase the trespass. That is really offensive. I don't think that we, like, it, that would have been really offensive to Paul's friends, Jewish friends. It's like he's saying, you know what, the law didn't come in to undo what Adam did. The law came in to make things worse. Now, what, exactly what he means by that, we'll have to wait for like future, future weeks because Paul will come back to that. But what he knows is that the law cannot deliver anybody who's under the power of sin and death. The law only makes things worse and drives you to run to somebody better than yourself. As Paul said in the last chapter, all the law can bring is wrath. But this bad news in that line is swallowed up in better news. Look at verse 20. It says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love it. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So last question, question four. So what? What are we supposed to walk away with? First, Jesus is just like Adam, only way different and far better. Jesus is like Adam in that he is able, like Adam, to impact all people in all places at all times. Jesus is our new king, our new representative. He's the one who lived the life we should have, died the death we deserved, and in whom we can find forgiveness, righteousness, joy, life, peace. You can rest in him alone, and that's a good idea. In fact, you need to do that. But Jesus is also better than Adam, better in every way. He did not simply undo what Adam did. Now, Jesus overwhelmingly conquers it. He, whereas Adam failed, Jesus triumphs. And he will not simply take us back to the way things were in the garden before Adam plunged the world into sin. Jesus is making all things new. We are not simply going to share in the glory of the first creation, pre-fall, or in the likeness of the first guy, the first Adam. No, we will share in the glory of the new creation. And we won't end up there looking just like the first Adam looked. We're going to end up there looking like the second Adam, Jesus, our glorious king. The second, as I have said before many times throughout this series, what Jesus has won for us is not ours automatically. Did you wonder about that in this text? Paul compares Adam and Christ in the text, and we know Adam's sin led to death for everybody. So does this mean that what Christ has done 
guarantees salvation and life for everybody. Well, this text has certainly been used to try to support that. But if you read this section of Scripture carefully, there is something right there in this text that shows that, that Paul knew that was going to be a possibility, and this is not what he was saying. Did you see it in verse 17? Look at verse 17. He says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Who will reign in life? It is only those who are connected to Jesus. Or as this text says, it's only those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of right standing with God. Being right with God is now possible because of Jesus, but it is not automatic. How does what Christ has won become ours? It becomes ours by faith. Salvation is a free gift from God for you. And if it is a gift, it means you didn't earn it. We cannot buy it. We simply need to receive it. How do we do that? We receive the gift of right standing by faith, by trusting completely in one man who's better than us, in Christ alone. So when I try to summarize this whole text, I like to put it this way. Whereas Adam has brought sin, death, and condemnation to everybody in Adam, so Christ has brought righteousness, life, and justification to everybody who's in Christ. But what does it take to be in Adam or to be connected to Adam? Do you know all it takes to be in Adam or connected to him? All it takes is being human. Being born, we might say. But what does it take to be in Christ? To be connected to Christ? It takes being born again. It takes wholehearted trust in Christ. And so today's call is to put your trust in one man, in Christ. To lay hold of him, because apart from that one man, you will be lost. There is no hope outside of him. You have to be in him. You're either in him or you're not. And if you're not in him, there's no hope. But if you're in him, there's hope of glory. But today's call to those trusting Christ already is to rest in him. Your hope is sure. Your future is secure. Because what he's done counts for you. Praise God. Where our sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful, hard text. It's so good. I pray that you'll strengthen us and, and give us rest and, and lead us to Jesus and, and those who are still outside of Christ. I pray you'll lead them to Christ and grant them faith to lay hold of him so that we might be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but his righteousness on our account. This is, this is how we have hope, and I, I pray that we'll see it today. Thank you for being with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.